Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. After a crazy last week of the regular season and the most memorable game of the year by far, as far as I'm concerned, to close it out, a game I'm not yet recovered from, frankly, with so many emotional entanglements there on Sunday Night Football that I did not expect. I literally found myself cheering like crazy for the Chargers to stay in the mix. Not cheering for the Raiders to lose, mind you, but cheering for the Chargers to stay alive. And the weirdness that ensued in my house, I'm sure it was similar in many of your homes, that play in overtime when Herbert hit Williams on fourth and nine for 47 yards, I jumped to my feet cheering. Then as he started to take off toward the end zone, I ran to the TV as if I could physically stop Williams from scoring if I somehow got in his way. I did not want him to score a touchdown. I wanted him to convert the fourth down. I wanted him to get into field goal range, but I didn't want him to score a touchdown because I wanted a tie. I wanted both teams to go to the playoffs. It was such a weird cheering environment for me. And then when the Raiders kicked that field goal, I literally picked my computer up off the bed in front of me and slammed it back down on the bed. I was so sad and I felt betrayed by the Raiders in the most irrational way because the Raiders didn't know anybody anything, right? All they needed to do was win. All they should have cared about was winning. They did their job. But to see Justin Herbert's face on the sideline, all sadness and shock after what he had just done on 64 pass attempts and six straight converted fourth downs. We talked last week on this show about how money he is on third and long. Forget third. How about fourth? Have you ever seen somebody make that many clutch plays? It was insane. He had a 19-play drive where every play was a pass. <sighs> he deserved to move on, but he will not. And so did the Raiders. They deserved to move on. I would have been sad if the Raiders had lost also. Their line play? Gosh, they dominated in the trenches. And the way they ran on L.A. and the way Derek also rose to the occasion down the stretch and the way guys like Brian Edwards and Zay Jones and Foster Moreau all made plays, they deserve their playoff spot. They have overcome so much adversity. The fact that they are even in the position that they're in is insane. And I can't wait to see what they do because you can't write them off. You know, they got the Bengals on Saturday. I think it's going to be a fun game. We'll have time later in the week to talk about the ways in which this matchup might be different from the last time that we saw them play back in week 11. Bengals won that game 32-13. It was really close, though, in the fourth quarter. It was 16-13 in the fourth before the Bengals pulled away. So, again, we'll talk about that later in the week. That'll be the first game of the weekend. Patriots-Bills after that on Saturday night for the third time this year. Then it's eagles Bucks on Sunday to start us off. Niners-Cowboys in the afternoon window, and we've got Steelers-Chiefs in primetime. And then we've got the NFC West showdown between the Cardinals and Rams closing out the week on Monday night. Saints not playing. They'll be at home. 
having done their part yesterday to get in instead of the Niners, but not getting the help from the Rams that they needed to get San Francisco out of their way. And I think the right team got in. I don't think that New Orleans was a playoff-worthy team this year, which is why I think Sean Payton's name should be coming up a lot more than it is for Coach of the Year. That guy won nine games in a season where he started four different quarterbacks. He didn't have Michael Thomas for a single snap, the best receiver on the team. Played a couple games without Kamara. Didn't have either of his starting tackles for like pretty much the entire stretch run. Think about that, you guys. He won nine games with that roster. And I know they've got some guys on the defensive side. I'm focusing primarily on the offensive side. Uh, But a winning record. Under those circumstances, dude coached his ass off. As did Dan Campbell, whose team went down swinging yesterday with a win over the Packers. Pulled out some trick plays, made it fun, made it clear, I think, that he is changing the culture there in Detroit and moving things in the right direction. And I love that they went for it when they had a shot at the number one pick if they lost. Same goes for the Jags. I love that we ended a season with the teams in that mix going for the win instead of trying to lose and still being rewarded with the pick in Jacksonville's case. And now the Jags will turn their attention to their coaching search with some company as of today, the Dolphins, Bears, and Vikings all firing their head coaches on what we have come to call Black Monday after the Broncos fired their coach Fangio on Saturday. Raiders, of course, also in this mix looking for a replacement from Gruden. Sounds like Joe Judge is going to stay in New York while Dave Gettleman will retire. And I'm torn about this one. I don't know. On the one hand, You know, we've talked to Sean O'Hara. We had him on the show last week. He told us that he would keep Joe Judge, that he's changing the culture. We had Bob Papa on earlier in the season. He said the same thing. But, dude, they ran a quarterback sneak on third and nine from their own four in the second quarter. What does that do to a culture? A week? After running the ball 40 times while throwing it 11 times in a game, you are not even in competitively. A 26-point loss. What kind of message does that send? It's like the opposite of Dan Campbell's approach in Detroit. Just going for it all over the place. Fourth down early in the game? Sure, because we need to steal something to get this win. Fake punt, trick play, all of it. The Giants? Quarterback sneak on third and nine. But I'm not there. And the people who are there say that they're making progress. So we'll see. As for the other moves that were made, uh, and more on the games from yesterday, and the quarterback play that we saw in prime time, I am very excited to welcome in a guy who played quarterback in the league for 12 years for the Vikings and the Dolphins and the Giants and the Texans and the team from Washington. He's Sage Rosenfels, and he's got some strong opinions on the Vikings situation, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. Time now to break the huddle. Hello, let's go! Two on two on two, ready? Hi, Sage. Welcome to the show. So good to see you. Thanks for having me on. So, you know, I'm looking at this list of um, the coaching news from today and the cities we're talking about, and it's like a bingo card of cities that you played in. We're missing the Texans and Washington and 
uh, if we had them, it would be a clean sweep. Well, I know your, I know your, uh, listeners, um, don't know all of my NFL career, but it is interesting. Some years <laughs> better years and there's five different franchises and some years it's just a, uh, dumpster fire, I believe is the term that people like to say. And so my former teams are Washington, Miami, which many times in the past has been a dumpster fire. Yeah. Uh, Houston, which was this year a dumpster fire. Minnesota, which now is looking like they're blowing everything up. So I don't know if it's a dumpster fire, but they're blowing it all up. Uh, in New York, which is a dumpster fire. And so this is one of those really sweet years where the former teams that I cover are just... Uh, and then you see these other teams that are, seem to be doing the, the right things, like, you know, Cincinnati, who started from scratch just a couple of years ago. And here they built all that. They've made all the, a lot of right moves there. Right. But uh, this has been quite the year. And yesterday uh, was was quite the day to finish the year. And this morning we're hearing news about some of those dumpster fires that I played for. So I let's see, which one should we start with? Which which one surprised? I mean, OK, never, never mind. Clearly, the Dolphins was the most surprising news. Were you su- as surprised as I was when you saw that come across your ticker or your Twitter or however you found out? I was surprised, but I had seen certain things like this before that they're surprising from the outside. But when you're on a team and you're in the organization and you just sort of, I guess, feel the vibe of the whole atmosphere, uh, it's not surprising, maybe. So, you know, we all don't know. I think that's a fact. Like e- even the the Tom Pelissero's or the down there it would probably be you know Jeff Darlington's of the world who have the inside scoop. Unless you're actually there, with these sort of surprise firings happening uh, happen, uh, they they I mean how how surprised are they? Right, the players, other coaches. Um, you know they they broke it down as like you know communication wasn't good. I know it was a Chris Greer's been there for a long time. Um, I, I think he was at the second time I was, I was a dolphin, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, that, that is a surprise, I guess, you know, but when this may have occurred, this decision may have occurred in my opinion, when they lost seven in a row, my guess is during that bad things happened, right? Because we did have such high expectations for this Dolphins team coming into the year. And I think that we've forgotten how bad things did get at the beginning of the year. I mean, they're one in seven and lost to pretty much all the good teams that they played this year, because during that seven game win streak, they played a lot of the teams that are out of the playoffs today for a good reason. And we're talking about wins over the Texans and the Ravens. That's a good win. They did have Lamar Jackson for that one. The Jets, the Panthers, the Giants, the Jets, uh, New Orleans, which, you know, was in the playoff mix down to the wire. But I think we could all agree that was kind of a head scratcher in terms of that they did not have a particularly good roster. So you could even look at the seven game win streak and say, eh, I don't know how impressive it is. Um, the, the win over the Patriots in in week 18 was certainly impressive. But yeah, I think you're right. That one in seven start with losses against the Bills and the Raiders and the Colts and the bucks. And you're sort of looking at it saying, we thought we were here and maybe we're not here. Yeah. And and sometimes during those bad stretches, you know, character reveals itself as they say, right. You know, people are all good and happy when you're winning all the time, but when bad things happen or struggles in life, sometimes character is revealed. And again, if you, if you look at team that, wow, they won seven games in a row, is it eight of their last nine to finish the season? You're thinking like, 
coach of the year. You right. know, if there's, if there's a comeback player of the year, this is the comeback in season coach of the year, right? Type of situation. As that thing was going, he obviously was probably going to get fired. I, I, I could imagine if that thing continued on that path. But when you win those in a row, uh, it seems like they must have been doing a lot of things right. But the question is what occurred, I think, during that seven game season. Because I, again, I, I you, you make that decision based off of those types of things, I got to think, uh, then when all, everything was good, I imagine everything was sort of more rosy the second half of the season, but I don't know if it was Stephen Ross or, or his decision-making crew that I think, I think they made a decision a long time ago, unlike some of these other firings that are probably more like a Mike Zimmer's a little more right. recent. Like if they would have won their last five games, Zimmer four games, Zimmer keeps his job and, and they're in the playoffs. Right. But, uh, some, some of the jobs were maybe decided in the middle of the season. You said something that piqued my interest about being inside a building. Sometimes you understand the culture of what's going on. Are there any examples that come to mind about things that did not surprise you that surprised the rest of us in the NFL space and moves that were made? Of this, of, of today, of this. No, no, no. When you said that, you know, you've been in that situation yeah. before where you weren't surprised, but everybody else was. Um, well, like on the face of it, Brad Childress in 2010, right? 2009, I'm Favre's, I mean, Tavares Jackson and I are Favre's backups in Minnesota. We have that magical run. We get to the NFC Championship game. We have the uh, Bounty Gate game that a lot of people remember, of course, against Drew Brees and the Saints, the year the Saints end up winning. We lose in overtime. Or we have a 12-4 and four season. We win the division. Uh, uh, Favre comes back the next year. Mid-season, the team, the, the, the season's sort of falling apart, and they're maybe two and six or something like that, or one and seven. I can't remember what it was. And boom, firing. It's like, well, I, you know, had a bad year or whatever. But, man, last year he was in the championship game. And it was like, yeah, but if you were there in previous seasons, every former player was not surprising. Uh, not, that team had a loaded roster. Um, and... Um, Personally, I didn't think the coaching was all that great, uh, uh, especially offensively. And I had been to, I had just come from Kubiak and Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur and those guys. And I get there and I was like, man, this is going to be hard for me to function. So to see Favre do it was like, holy cow, like this guy is making magic uh, uh, occur with, to me, not great offensive scheme. Right. And, uh, and I think he also very much had lost the respect of a lot of the guys in the locker room for various reasons of how we dealt with players. He wasn't very good at sort of interacting with players for, I think, a lot of different reasons. And That's other coaches were. Huge. Uh, you know, Gary Kubiak was so easy to talk to. I go talk to Tom Coughlin. Uh, you know, it was like, it was like talking to, uh, my, not my grandfather, but yeah, in some ways of like, you know, I felt I was going to get this very honest uh, feedback from him and good advice or whatever it might be. But Brad was not one of those you know, types of guys, I don't think, for a lot of players. Uh, what about the Vikings situation currently? I don't think anybody's surprised that it went the way that it did. Um, the fact that the defense, after the comments made about the defense last year and that sort of being Zimmer's thing, and then for it to only get worse this year. And I think this stat is just crazy that they set an NFL record for most points allowed in the final two minutes of a half with 128, that feels like it has coaching written all over it, doesn't it? Well, and breaking the record that they set, I think a year ago or two years ago or something like that, they set the other record at 120 
uh, recently. I was actually at about the first three quarters of that game yesterday. And I'm standing in the sort of the Vikings alumni box. I have my 11-year-old daughter with me. We're actually up there for a dance competition of all things. Uh, and we just, let's go to the games. We go to the game. Uh, and, and, and somebody that uh, works in the Vikings organization, uh, who I've known for a long time now, he and I are talking, and, and it's the end of that first half. And uh, the Bears are going down to score. And he's like, huh, surprise, surprise, another more points given up at the end of the first half. And, and I sort of didn't really know what he was talking about. I was like, yeah, we set an NFL record. We're going to set it again this year. We already, or something like that. So he knew about that stat. And, and I mean, yeah, you, you'd like to think you call it coaching. I'm sure it's a combination of coaching and players. And, but I mean, that is uh situational football. Uh, and yeah, I think of all things, Mike Zimmer's always been a good defensive coordinator and his defenses for the most part were good there whether the team was was in the playoffs or whether the team was 500 or even below, whatever it was, the defense is always generally one of the tougher ones in the NFC, in particular the NFC North. As that thing fell apart, uh, I think that was really, you know, when, when the team was losing games and the defense wasn't playing well, but I think that was a sign for, uh, for ownership to move on. That said, you tweeted a few hours ago, that uh, one person caused the Minnesota Vikings to be consistently average over the last four years, and it wasn't the head coach or the general manager. Well, well, that could that could leave a lot of people. I could leave a lot of people on that. Could, it could at be. The the day, at the end of the day, it's it's the Will family, right? At the end of the day, the Will family has caused based off of various decisions as to why the Vikings have been basically, you know, five hundred for for so many years and missed the playoffs, and now they're they're in where they were. But I I'm just not. I watch a lot of football. I don't watch all the games, but I have teams I watch and I, you know, I watch a, a lot of Packers. I train high, some of these college quarterbacks that are coming out and uh, do different radio shows in Chicago and Houston. So I, I, just, I watch a lot of football and um, I just don't see Kirk Cousins, no matter how good his stats are, no matter how, what his, what his uh, QBR is or his passer rating or his touchdown to interception ratio. Uh, or whatever it might be, I just don't see him making other people around him better. I just don't. I, I saw that Andy Dalton had a play yesterday where he scrambled and he ran, basically ran down to the one yard line, but he dove in and made a play. It was a great run. Andy Dalton, not a great quarterback, not making 35 million or whatever it is guaranteed next year. I turned to one of those alumni behind me and I said, when was the last time you saw Kirk Cousins do that? You haven't. All right. And Don made a play when there wasn't play to be there. There's the play called in the huddle, and then there's a play that's actually that occurs during the game. Your quarterback has to do really, really well in the plays called in the huddle within the framework, and everyone's doing their job. But when things break down, which they inevitably do on half the pass plays, did that quarterback make the, the, the right guard better who missed his block or the left tackle or how did he get a ball off here or did, did, did he make those guys? Because that is a really hard job up front to be offensive line. In this game with the, with the defensive players and how good they are, pass rushing, all right, uh, and offensive line get hurt in the mix. It's hard to great, just get a dominant group up there who can keep a quarterback perfect. And you know, Kirk just doesn't make, in my opinion, enough plays to warrant that money that he's getting. He's getting special quarterback money, top five, top eight, top 10. 
And I just don't see him, no matter what his stats are. All right. He threw a nice uh, uh, sort of a, a corner post down the middle yesterday, caught cover two. It was the right play. He had good protection and he made a good throw. He did a good job. It comes down to, you know, a 40 yard touchdown pass or whatever it was. But at the end of the day, he really just did his job. And a quarterbacks, in, in my opinion, uh, need to do more than that. And um, I also think he's one of those guys for whatever reason. And I don't, again, I'm not in the locker room, but the feel I get, the feel I get from my, you know, sort of watching him over all these years was I don't know how likable he is. I don't know if he's one of those guys that other guys can relate to or he can relate to them. And that's like a people person uh, type of thing. And when you have players that love playing for you, right, they will play harder. They will. They will play hard. If they absolutely, like, and when I was in Miami, guys would talk about Dan Marino, the, the players, not only as like the great thrower that he was, it was like, Dan is the man. Like, I'm going to go out here and, and play for Dan because he was so likable amongst those guys. And um, so I, I, I think that is part of the reason where they sort of get stuck uh, in, you know, this sort of 500 or, or eight and nine or nine and, or, you know, eight and eight and uh, eight and eight and the previous, whatever it was, nine and seven. And he just can't get over that hump, you know? And I think a lot of those stats are in, you know, third and really long situations after he's gotten uh, sacked, right. Where the other guy may have thrown the ball away or even made a play. And I just, that, that is my opinion. I think Rick Spielman trade uh, signed him guaranteed deal, then signed him an extension. And that's what got Rick fired. All right. Uh, so at the end of the day, because you know the Wilson. You so you think it's tied to the the yeah, Kirk Cousins I deal? I do, I do, and that, and then they have not been great with players in the last few years. Obviously, what I think Zimmer hasn't lost his ability to coach, so they must not have the defensive players uh, or, or a mix of, the, of of both um, to you know be what what uh, what you know the, the Minnesota expects as far as having a dominant defense, right? And and so they probably missed on other players too, but. I do think at the end of the day, the Wilfs are sitting there going, you know what? Our, our quarterback is a very expensive. Uh, we have done this now for a long time with him and we're not going anywhere. And we're just getting- and there are pieces around him. I mean, you've got Dalvin cook, you've got Justin <laughs> Jefferson, you had Adam Thielen until Adam Thielen got hurt. I mean, there, there are guys that a lot of teams would like love to have. Jefferson is a stud. Yeah. He's a stud. Um, and Dalvin Cook is a stud. And I like Madison, the backup, who has to play every once in a while when Cook is right too. Like uh the, the, the cupboard's not empty there. Mm-hmm. But and I will say this, uh, and I, I've said this before to people. Rick Spielman traded for me twice. All right. He uh I think I met him after a game or something, I think uh against Nebraska and in college, but uh he traded for me down to Miami, all right, and I was down there with him. And then I got traded again up to Minnesota to hopefully, you know, beat out Tavares. And then Favre came in. So he traded for me twice. I've known him since 2002. I have the utmost respect for him and everything is. And I actually have seen so many of his drafts. Um, and also George Payton, by the way, those guys were together during all those runs. I've seen so many good players that they have brought in and why they're consistently pretty good. Uh, and they consistently have really good defensive ends or consistently have you know, I, I think they do. They've done. A, he's done a great job for a long time, 
but at the one position, quarterback position, and he traded for me twice. So I say this with uh, a lot of humbleness, like he has struggled there for almost the whole time. Uh, whether how much is that on him or his staff or whoever it is, you go back to Miami and it's like, when are we going to replace Dan Marino? Right. Never has sort of happened. He was a part of that early, like post Dan Marino thing. And then in Minnesota, uh, you know, trying to, even during those children's eras, you had like the Brad Johnson and they're bringing in Brooks Bollinger and they're bringing in, you know, me bringing in, you know, all, all these people, draft picks. Christian Ponder was a huge miss, a huge miss. Right. So quarterback has been, uh, and the only other, the biggest success was Favre, which was, you know, that was more like Favre wanted to play for the Vikings more than anything. So um, that has been the position that sort of been his Achilles heel, in my opinion, of sort of his coaching career. He's not alone in that department, though. I mean, you've got John Elway in Denver who's gone through the same thing. I mean, the quarterback position is hard. It's hard. There's so many people, unless you get that franchise guy and either get lucky and, and it hits, and then you've got that guy for a long time, or uh, I don't know, or you could pull off some sort of like trade of the century type situation to bring that guy in. It just feels like, why is it so hard in your opinion to, to get that position right? Why are there, because you know what, it's also the thing. And the thing I think about with, with regard to Kirk cousins is that the Vikings were in a tough spot and you see this across the league because a good enough quarterback to keep you in that mix and maybe isn't a stud and they're not elite and they're not going to do all the things, but they're good enough because they could do their job and they won't lose it for you. Maybe they won't win it for you, but they won't lose it for you. There's so many bad quarterbacks that it makes the okay quarterbacks highly sought after because they're not bad. You know what I mean? Like there's just a handful of guys. Yeah. And then you have to pay for them and they end up overpaying for them because at least they'll keep you in a game as opposed to lose all the games. It's just, I mean, it's like, it's like pure capitalism, right? There's totally elite cat quarterbacks and those get paid the elite money, but then you have this next set that aren't elite. And well, if you don't have any elite guys, at least got to have one of these guys. So, yeah. you know, or else you're stuck with, with these guys who are in the bottom, you know, third or, or six in the league or whatever it is. Right. And well, that middle tier, I almost think is the worst thing to have because then you're not going to win it all. And it, it, it slows down the process of getting to the point where you're going to get the guy who's going to win it all. You got it. You get stuck there. It like occasionally gets you to the playoffs or it gets you in the playoffs like every third year. So it sort of prevents you from being fired. Right, mm-hmm. but like caps your ceiling. It feels like uh, unless you decide. Well, that, that the hard part is when teams have like won it without a super expensive quarterback, or let's just say even gotten to the Super Bowl, all right, and maybe like like a Rex Grossman, right, uh, or even Jimmy G a couple years ago. I think he was making twenty five a year, but it wasn't thirty five or forty or whatever some of the t- you know top guys were. But there's been guys, Trent Dilfer, of course, back in the day. When those mid-tier sort of quarterbacks do have great uh, uh, postseason runs, it's because of some other position is so dominant, usually the defense. Flacco. Yeah, there's the defense that – right? So and unless your decision is, hey, a guy like, say, again, Jimmy Garoppolo, let's put him in there, or Kirk Cousins, you can't overpay because you need all the resources possible. He might, in my opinion, get like a Case Keenum. And just go, you know what? We're just going to take a step below it, pay him like eight or right, or even like a, like a Teddy Bridgewater. All right. So who's, who's in that sort of next level too? 
and not paying them so much on less. And we can't pay this much because we need the extra 10 or 15 million to go out and like try to load up this defense, which is good, but we have to make them great if we're going to try to make it run with you uh, as a second tier quarterback to win it because it's, there's only really a couple guys who are, uh, can consistently like give your team a chance to win uh, the Super Bowl unless you have, again, some sort of dominant other aspect of the game. So, what in your mind should the Vikings do next? Trade your cousin. That's what I would do. I think they can. Trade him. Uh, yeah, I think. But it's, I think it's a one-year deal. I thought I read it was thirty-five million guaranteed. I I think the only way to do that is for them to maybe trade their own draft pick away, or someone else take the contract, or do some sort of trade where they're paying a part of that salary, so they're going to be on the the hook for ten million. Uh, so Kurt goes from a thirty-five to a twenty-five for some team, and but that's better than ha- them having to do a thirty-five million. And I mean. It doesn't sound like Kellen Mond is anything special. Another boy Zimmer didn't think so. It sounded like, <laughs> yeah. Did you see his quote last week? He was like, "I've seen Kellen Mond in practice." Do you want to? Do you want to take a look at him? Nope. <laughs> yeah, no. Why? I've seen, I've seen him. <laughs> oh god! Second round pick, right? And um, and that's not surprising to me. Again, as someone who like watches quarterbacks and watched him play some in college and watched part of his pro day, see how he throws. Not surprising to me. You know, like that wouldn't surprise me, but. Rick thought enough of him from probably an athletic standpoint to the way the ball comes out of his hand standpoint, like a, just a visual that he saw a guy that's worthy of a second round pick, you know? So he, you know, I think that was a, a big, another, another reason he got fired. But I mean, the draft is the same thing. The, the whole quarterback conversation is, is driven by need as opposed to driven by the talent that they see in front of their face. Right. And when you are needy and you are desperate, you make, decisions you overvalue people in the draft in free agency well and they're the rams uh you know those those la rams i mean they mortgaged a lot i don't want to change the subject but they uh you know that was a two first rounders for matt and and and, and stafford's gonna have to win this playoff game he's got to have to make a run here it, it, just getting to the playoffs uh this year and losing to me would be that's a failed trait because um, I think the Rams are probably a playoff caliber team anyway. And I, you know, I think Stafford, very good quarterback, but this is, he's one of those guys. He fits in the category of certain athletes who have like been on not very good teams, but people always thought he was pretty good and like sort of gets his shot sort of the second half of his career and, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, his, his legacy in some ways is an NFL quarterback where he based off of really more his postseason runs. Not how many yards and touchdowns he threw for in total. He's going to have a lot of those. He's always thrown for a lot of yards, always thrown for a lot of touchdowns. But what is his postseason sort of clutch? This is your time to to to, to shine. You know, what does he do here in the playoffs? This is going to be a big, big playoff game for him. Would Nagy still be the coach in Chicago if he'd handled fields differently? Felt like he made that move kicking and screaming. Tuesday, I do a radio show in Chicago for six seven is the score in Chicago. So I literally wake up Tuesday morning and watch the Bears game. I rewatch it and find details so I can see the coverages or whatever. So I really want to add. We and we just talk about offense. We just talk about basically the quarterback, which is also been you're talking about the OC, which is in this situation the head coach. Okay, so it's going to follow very closely. Um, Matt Nagy has an offense, in in my opinion, that is hard on a quarterback. It's hard. It expects a quarterback to be is responsible for a lot. 
All right. Uh, anytime you're in shotgun a lot, you're right off the bat, the quarterback, even if it's an RPO, the quarterback has to make a decision. It's not just like, well, I can hand the ball off and get six yards. So you're literally, you know, you're, you're putting a lot more in the quarterback's plate. Um, the easier thing to do and why I think makes a life easier for a quarterback is to, of course, run the football. It's the no brainer, but to run bootlegs and play action. And why? Because those are just sort of easier completions. A lot of times, sometimes you get big plays, a right? nice 25 yard throw because the, the linebacker sucked up and there's some space behind him in that second level. And you hit a guy who's basically wide open. Those things make things easier on a quarterback, but in particular, right, a young quarterback who is literally learning protections, learning fronts, learning blitzes, learning the speed of the game, learning how defenses work. It is a process for all these young quarterbacks uh, from year one to year 10 to consistently continue to learn, 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 learn. You just you keep learning all the way through. Aaron Rodgers is still learning little things. And when he looks back, he's going to have this giant like encyclopedia of like insane with Tom Brady of information, much more than me because they played longer. But you, I, I, I was learning at the end of my career. You just keep learning more and more and more. And the more you do that, then you can start going like, hey, let's do some empty stuff because I can see so much. I have seen so many blitzes and so many fronts and know how to change things because you've just had taken so many reps over the course of years and years and years. Um, but at the minimum, that definitely goes into like three, four, five years. Like there's a ton of growth between year one and year like four, right? So early on in a, in a quarterback's career, but in particular in the first year of it. You have to try to make things simpler, but not simpler from like, we just run a super simple offense, but simpler from like, how much do you want to make the quarterback have to really understand everything? Right. Everything. And when you're in empty, when you're in shotgun, when you're in three wides, when you're, you know, all these things, you're asking the quarterback to have already learned a lot. And there's only so much time from the offseason. And he was, you know, he wasn't getting reps. It was a whole, there's a whole odd thing going on. there, but. In my opinion, it's, it's, you could call it stubbornness. Yeah. Or he just doesn't actually know this. Does Matt Nagy actually know that it's easier for a young quarterback to run bootlegs and play actions? Is it? And like quick three-step drops and, and drop combinations that, hey, he's going to get the ball out quick. All right. So even if they blitz, he'll get the ball out. Like, does he know that? Or is he just know, like, this is the plays that we run? That when I was in Kansas City, we ran with Pat Mahomes or and we had a lot of success with and Alex Smith. Right. But Alex Smith is also like one of the smartest guys. So like, does he not know that those plays take a, a more mature quarterback mind uh, uh, from a, a knowledge standpoint of what you've learned. And the guy's only been there for four or five months before he's out there versus the Cleveland Browns in empty against a really good defense and two of the best defensive ends, you know, and Clowney's good, but you know, the, the miles and miles scared, like, I, I remember the 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 the, the more the shows afterwards, you know, like Dan Olasky's that were like that was a uh it was like sad. I had to watch that and I was like, this is sad. Like what why are they why are they doing this to this kid? Right. You know, and uh and like you can you can make the game easy on the quarterback. You can. You can find ways to make the game easy and get easy completions and run a screen and do this and do that and Take some shots, but the hardest thing to do, and I, and I tell this to coaches all the time, the hardest thing to do, in my opinion, in all of football is drop that pass. Shotgun, 
drop back pass. Uh, you run the ball, uh, 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 bootlegs. The, right, you run, you run a bootleg. That's pretty simple, right? Some like high school sort of thinking. All right, some play action, three step screens. Those are all easier plays on the quarterback on the offensive line than drop back pass in the pocket. The hardest thing for the left guard to do is a one on one versus a three technique drop back pass. He asked him, how many, how many of those do you want where the quarterback's holding the ball for three hitches in the game? He'd say zero every time. Yeah. <laughs> those plays suck for those. All they can do is screw up. Yeah. So it's that style of football with a rookie quarterback with not a very good pass blocking offensive line. And actually, Chicago, actually, there's a lot of games where they ran the ball pretty well. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Montgomery's a good player. He's like the Chicago Bears type of running back. Grind it out, stay on his feet, keep his balance. Two-yard gain. I mean, right? I mean, he just does everything for, for a couple yards, but they run for seven or eight yards, second two shotgun. And I'm like, what, what, why do they do that? Why not go run, you know, a similar type of play to the other side or run a bootleg off that? Because now we know they're going to over-pursue on second two and looks like we're going to hand the ball to David again for another eight, right? And they, but they'd be in shotgun running an RPO or something. It's like, what are we doing here? Like, right? And, and, and a lot of times I look at quarterback play from like how much stress and pressure are you putting on that player? Because as a former quarterback, you remember that and you feel that. And the type of plays that give me like anxiety, like <laughs> second two, uh, uh, RPO because it's like, man, you could just hand the ball off would be nice. You know, back in the day, we did Gary Kubek, like we're going to hand the ball off or we're going to run a bootleg and you might get a wide open Andre Johnson because we run the ball two or three times now when everyone is filling their gaps, which means that they're not in their pass coverage. And and Chicago didn't uh, didn't do that all. They hadn't done that for four years. It, Trubisky could have been a decent sort of bootleg style quarterback too. And he's back there, you know, again, shot. I think that's part of the problem here is that now we've seen it with two different quarterbacks where with Trubisky, there were just glaring ways that you don't have to know that much about football to go like, you know, one of his strengths is his legs. You're not using his legs. Why aren't you using his legs? Like, why are you so insistent about not about avoiding that part of his game? So overall, by the way, in Chicago, going back to the Trubisky era, sort of the Ryan Pace era here, which they, of course, he had let go as well, is that they had a really good defense when Matt Nagy showed up, right? They had a whole bunch of good players. They had a really good scheme. Uh, and Trubisky, they like made enough plays that year to get them in the playoffs. Trubisky would have a lot of like scrambles on third and seven, and boom, he runs for 12, 15 yards. And, but it wasn't like great offense. It was like clutch offensive plays at the right time with a great defense, right? Which sort of got them the wins. And, you know, as that def- as that team is gone now, that defense also has gotten worse and older. Uh, and the offense is sort of still probably what it was before with a, with a rookie quarterback that's, you know, being thrown in a really, really tough situation. So I, it's, it's blatantly obvious to me why the whole Chicago situation uh, and, and really Minnesota too are, are being blown up right now. Well, for the teams that are still playing in the postseason, we've got the bracket set. 14 teams are in the Chargers. You're not one of those teams. Much to my dismay, I uh, was rooting so hard in that game at the end. And I did not go into it thinking, Ty. I was not one of those people that was like, oh, this would be so fun if the scenario presents itself. Let's just watch two teams take a knee the whole time. But then once it actually was that close at the end of the game, I decided that I needed both of those teams in the postseason more than anybody has ever needed anything before. Like I was so invested in a way that really surprised me because the Raiders 
completely like the way that they have finished this season with the adversity that they have faced. It's like they're to me that Cinderella story that they're in over their heads from a roster standpoint and a talent standpoint, but they're just playing so hard that you gotta love it. And so that's fun to watch in the postseason without any other rooting interest or investment. And then the Chargers are just, Justin Herbert has turned me into a Chargers fan. I love watching this guy play football. And I am legitimately sad that he's not in the postseason for us to watch anymore. That was an awesome game. That was an awesome game against the two teams that I wanted them both to be in the playoffs. And a tie would have been like the best thing. Yep. Been rooting for the Raiders since October 11th. Uh, yes. I'm Gruden. Uh, as sort of you saw a Cinderella story. Like, man, wouldn't it be great? And I, you know, I, I backed up David Carr uh, in 2006 in, in Houston. And little Derek was, I don't know, 14 or whatever. He, you know, 13 years old or something. And, and for him to become a player, he is. Uh, and, you know, he's not Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but um, I've always liked the way he, you know, ways with his teammates and press conferences. And I feel like there's a toughness there and there's an authenticity there uh, with him. I, I, I just sort of really think a lot of the way this kid has grown in his life to be this type of player. And then for that John Green situation to happen. And, and I was like, I want, I, I, I want to see Derek Carr, like lead this team uh, and say, we don't really need John Green. We already got the players. Right. We already got this, the scheme offense and defense. We get somebody else, of course, calling the place, but you know, this is still this team. This thing doesn't have to fall apart like a lot of times it does uh, in those type of situations when they lose the head coach. And so I've been sort of a fan ever since, hoping that they would. And they and they they stumbled off the bat. I think they lost a couple in a row, or maybe three out of the four after that firing. But from to sort of fight their way back, and they're again one of those teams who were just hovering around five hundred at the end of the year. And then for the make it is a is a sort of a Cinderella type story. And by the way, I really think Derek. Um, has the ability to be, you know, one of those top 10 quarterbacks. I, th- I think he can be in there. I mean, he has an extremely strong arm and he's a really good athlete. And I actually think he pushes the ball down the field. Well, I think he does a pretty good job being patient. Sometimes he can, he's got a really quick release. I actually think he's one of those guys that, uh, is, is people Brown talk about, about, I think a, a good quarterback. So what holds him back in that department? Why don't we? Well, they haven't been to playoffs much, right? And the only year they went to the playoffs, he didn't play in it because he was hurt. So it's been the sort of non-playoff team. Uh, but, you know, sometimes quarterbacks are on sort of, you know, bad football teams and, and sort of, I, think, I do think Gruden brought in like another level of offensive coaching that he probably hadn't had before. Uh, he became a better player. He, you could tell, did diligently work within that system uh, and, and took all that tough John Gruden coaching. And now we're sort of seeing... You know, he's not his back anymore, but we're seeing, I think, some of the, the, the qualities of John Gruden is that he does do a really good job of teaching quarterbacks to get the ball out, to not uh, not uh, put the ball in harm's way, protect the football, check the ball down. He creates good schemes from that type of uh, concept of getting the ball out quick. And so I think he's become a better quarterback from John. But I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just think that uh, I think he's a, he's, a, he's a good player. Quick release, throws the ball extremely hard. Uh, misses sometimes, but I don't know. He's a guy that I would like to have as, as one of my quarterback, as my quarterback if I was an NFL GM or head coach. And then Justin Herbert, how do you feel about his play? Guy's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Chargers fan. So this is why I like, I want both teams to win is because I wanted to see a playoff game with 
both of these guys in the playoffs and, and, and he for is totally different reasons, right? Like it's different, they're, they're, different reasons. Um, he's just, he's so fun to watch and he's such a good athlete for how big he is. And he doesn't miss very often. He's got a cannon and you feel like, I mean, especially after last night's game, when that game was sort of, it seemed like it was almost over. You're never out of it when he got now you know, Herbert at quarterback. Like he has done some magical things, even in a loss. He did some magical things last night and throughout uh, this year. He had played so well last year See, that he converted six straight fourth downs. The the, the, the throw, the touchdown on the, the 25 yard uh, dagger route on fourth and 21, fourth and goal uh, on you know, 21 was. Incredible. And, you know, the corner routes, the corner stop route as well to his left. Um, I mean, just again, the, the velocity and the accuracy at the same time mixed with seems like pretty dang good decision making and athletic ability and escapability uh, to buy time in the big arm to throw down the field. Uh, he is he is a lot, a lot of fun to watch. I mean, a fourth and six, a fourth and 21, a fourth and 10, a fourth and 10, a fourth and 10, a fourth and nine. We're not even talking about like a fourth and one or something like that. Like, this is as deep a hole as you could possibly be in with as much pressure and six straight times they find a way to convert the first down one required some help with the penalty, but Justin Herbert, we, I, I think he's a top five quarterback, but the reasons you pay that guy, think of how much he does for his team and makes his team better than other quarterbacks. When you watch, Oh them. yes. They're making, you know, 30 or $35 million. Like how much are they making their team and the offensive lineman better? Justin Fields makes every single person in Justin the entire Herbert. Chargers organization. I'm talking yeah. like the PR person. I, assu- totally. I assume the equipment, you know, people or whatever. It makes everyone's life easier and better. And the, that thing that you mentioned about Cousins, about like not getting a sense of like, do the guys like him or not? Like Justin Herbert is one of the most likable people that I have encountered. Like there's just something about him and it's hard to put your finger on it. But like even his like stuff that we've read about in the past about like how he won't shop at Whole Foods because it's too expensive. Like there's something that's just so grounded about him. And by the way, this coming from a girl totally shops at Whole Foods like (laughs) but like I just find it so appealing. Everything about him from a leadership standpoint, he's the guy that I want my kid to be like as a quarterback, as the person like it's just there's something so likable about it. And I know that that's an intangible thing, but that combined with what we see in high pressure situations and the beautiful ball that he throws, I just am so I'm excited, frankly, about him and Burrow and the fact that we've now isolated that these guys are working, right? Like we've found franchise quarterbacks in these two cities and we get to watch them for years. We found that next generation, you know, like not putting them in the Brady Manning category, but like the fact that we had those quarterbacks for so long and now those are aging out. And now we have this new generation and we can point our fingers and say, those are the guys and they're going to take us the rest of the way. And I just, I'm so excited about him. We add to that though. You know, these two franchises that were sort of starting over recently, mm. Cincinnati Chargers, they found the quarterbacks. But it looks like, in my opinion, and I like Brand Staley, and he's a, a defensive guy, and their defense wasn't great. But I feel like the, the, they found the right environment, quarterback-friendly environments and or systems, in particular in Cincinnati, that are, were, are helping these young, talented quarterbacks flourish as well uh, for, for various reasons. And, you know, 
the, 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 I had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan. I deserve a head coaching job is sort of a, a joke other than the fact that it's working. Totally. It's working. They're it's, doing great. We are seeing teams improve. We are seeing uh, quarterbacks improve and get better and court systems that seem to be quarterback friendly. Um, they obviously have drafted the right quarterbacks uh, for those systems. But we're seeing two offshoots of the, you know, Sean McVay coaching tree have uh, a lot of success uh, in, in literally in coming to teams that are very, where they were very much starting over. Of course, you know, there are a lot of people out there today that want Brandon Staley fired immediately because he called timeout. Because this is the NFL and we want everyone, uh, we want to win the Super Bowl. And if they don't, everyone should be fired. Right. So, um, I, again, I, I don't think, I don't think the, uh, the timeout, I don't think the time at the end of the game uh, really cost the Chargers much. I really don't. Because I think at the end of the day, the Raiders are just going to run the football. And if they get stopped, they would either run the clock down and try a field goal, right? Because, you know, but there's also a chance of a blocked field goal that gets returned. for Now you're not in the playoffs. So, you look so I think they were going to run the ball, you know, maybe kneel it on the next one, whatever it might be, and and and, and just sort of, uh, uh, go to the playoffs. Uh, so I don't think the timeout had much to do with the loss. I don't, but the fact that they took a timeout is not what changed the Raiders mind. The fact that they picked up 10 yards on the ensuing play is what changed their mind. So if you're fired, it's because he, his defense allowed a team, even with thought of what's the best thing to run that another team basically put their will on us in the, in the, crucial point of the year for uh on the third and four for a nine yard game if you want to get fired fired for that but not for the timeout totally or even if you want to point to the timeout the only thing i can wrap my brain around is your argument better be that he gave them time to get to a better play because i don't understand the argument that they looked like they were content to run it out like yeah they were gonna run it out they weren't gonna take a knee so if you your job is to protect your chance to win the game and get to the postseason. You don't know if they're content for a tie. You don't know if they're going to break a big play. You got to put your defense in the best situation. So if your argument is that he called the timeout and gave them better, more time or an opportunity to check to a better play, then I can listen to that. But the whole like, Oh, he changed their thought process doesn't make sense to me. They were going to run the ball. He wanted to get the right personnel group on the field because that's his job as the coach. And then they didn't make the stop. That's what changed everything, right? If they hadn't. I I don't, did did he have another timeout left? Because as I'm just like sort of thinking about this here, let's just say they get a stop there. Let's just say they try that field goal. Let's say the field goal was blocked and ran back to the 50. If he doesn't call timeout, we're upset he didn't call timeout. So they now have you know a couple of plays to maybe get themselves a field goal and win the game, right? Um, I don't know. It was such a, it was all happening at the same time. It was such a it was like the NFL at its best. It was that was uh, week now eighteen, but in, you know seventeens, eighteens, you have games that don't matter at all that sometimes end up mattering, like that like that Jacksonville game, and then yep. you have and they've done a great job of picking. Like what could be the best game as that, you know, uh, Sunday night game. And, and they picked one of the best games of the year. I feel like it sort of happened a couple of years ago where there was another like week 17 game that was just incredible. You know, the last Sunday night game of the year to sort of decide the whole thing. And, 
and you know yesterday's game was was phenomenal and two two quarterbacks that uh, I think a lot of uh, America was sort of sort of rooting for and for various reasons. Oh, I was just even when they lined up to kick the field goal, I was like, just take a knee, just take a knee. Like there's two seconds left, and that's the other thing too. The people that were like, oh, they were content. Like no, they were. The timeout didn't change your thought process. They got in a better situation. They kicked a field goal. If they were content to tie, then they would have taken a knee on the field goal. There's two seconds left. Just snap the ball, take a knee. It's protected. We both get there. Something could have gone wrong on that field goal. Like you mentioned, they could have blocked it. They could have run it back. Like they're, they, that wasn't their thought process. It's, it's hard in football to like to take the gas off and like not to play to not win to, to you know to not win the game to tie the game in soccer you see it you see teams that don't need more goals or whatever to advance on and you see that just people just sort of uh, uh kicking around kicking it back and forth and not overly aggressive you know uh, types of, it's hard to see teams like looking for the tie or whatever it's just and i nfl players don't know how to do it and end up costing uh costing the chargers i will say i i you know the combine is what late February or, or May is early March this year. I'm not really sure, but uh, I imagine that uh, I'd like to see those two guys have a drink and just you know, hey man, next time can we just take the can I can I like text Seriously. you like we just uh, take the time this one or something because I don't even want to see that happen. I, it'll be like two months too late. I'm traumatized already. And I again, again, I wanted the Raiders to have success. It, it was such a weird rooting experience, Sage, to be so invested in both teams going. And no offense to Steelers. I, I, I understood like I was tweeting and I was like, oh, I don't want to offend Steelers fans because I know that they're really invested right now in emotional in a totally different way. My thought process not being invested in any of the three is that the Steelers, this is not their year. They're not a good team. This is not a team that's going to make a playoff run. So I understand why fans of the Steelers want to get into the postseason. It's just not happening. It, you know, I don't know. Again, as a fan, uh, when quarterback play is really good, yeah. you want to tune in. Uh, ben has not played at like a Justin Herbert level this year. I, I think to it's, to it's say bad. the least. <laughs> so I think as far as turning to that game, if somehow like the Steelers win, it's not going to be pretty, right? It's not going to be like some really fun game to watch. So I think it's football fans. We, we look for really good quarterback play when, we're, when we want to tune into these playoff games. Who is set up the best in the postseason? Who do you like? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think it's really wide open. Really? It's really wide open. I think Green Bay, of course, playing at home, uh, uh-huh. having those advantages of, you know, the other teams, the Dallas team, it's a dome team, and Tampa's a warm weather team. For them to be able to have that sort of home field advantage, I think they're set up the best uh, of, of the teams, you know, Rams or Fort Amherst going to Green Bay in late January, you know, right? So I think they're probably set up the best of everybody. Um, but I do think uh, it's it's sort of a crapshoot out there. Uh, yeah. you know, the, the the AFC with Tennessee and, and them getting the bye, incredible, by the way. Very, you miss your best running back in the league, and really like your your you know bell cow, as they say, and they you know relied so much on uh, Derrick Henry to miss him for so much this season. Uh, have you know Brown out some and and Julio, you know, but to get that buy into them, get those players back healthy, that's huge. That yeah. is huge for them. So you know they'll, they'll also, of course, have home field advantage. So you know for them to get to get here uh, and now get Derrick Henry back, 
I think, you know, they're set up pretty good too. But for the most part, I, I do think it's sort of a, there's not a dominant, they're not dominant teams out there. There's not 14 and two Patriots or 14 and two Colts that you're just like, man, I, I like Peyton Manning or, or Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. I think it's more wide open than that. It's going to make for a fun month ahead. Sage Rosenfels, thank you so much for your time. This has been fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You can find him on Twitter at Sage Rosenfels 18. Super interesting perspective. And how about that humility? Talking about Spielman struggling to find quarterbacks as a quarterback that Spielman once signed two times. You don't hear that kind of thing every day. So normally our second episode of the week comes out on Wednesday. We are going to change that up for the rest of the playoffs now that we are not doing a Friday fantasy podcast moving forward. So we'll put our next episode out on Thursday instead with the look ahead at all the wild card matchups. And I hope that you will join us for that. If you enjoyed today's episode and you do want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app, which is free for most subscribers. Just download it today. Tap podcasts. There will be. For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm also on Instagram, Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. And special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. I hope you guys have a great week, and we'll meet back here again on Thursday. Listen to that. SiriusXM Podcasts.